Are you an architect, designer, contractor, or engineer? Modeler.com is a platform connecting architects and other specifiers with building product manufacturers. Modeler.com's engaged network of 168,000 architects, designers, and construction professionals use Modeler.com's tools to discover, discuss, and specify products appropriate for building projects. We at KZSU Stanford thank Modeler.com for the generous underwriting of the production and broadcasting costs of the modern architect. KZSU, Stanford University's FM radio station, broadcasting across the Bay Area on 90.1 FM and across the world at kzsu.org. From the campus of Stanford University, this is the Modern Architect radio show and podcast, featuring one-on-one interviews with renowned and cutting-edge architects, influencers, and sustainability leaders. The show and podcast will inform, educate, and illuminate the transformation, joy, and inspiration architecture brings to our cities, communities, and lives. Hosted by architecture aficionado and principal of Accurate, this is Tom Diora. Thank you, Shay. For our guest today, please welcome Drew Goldman, lighting designer and a vice president of Pure Edge Lighting, a leading engineering and manufacturer of technologically advanced energy-efficient lighting and a best-in-class U.S. Department of Energy and an NGL award winner for most innovative LED lighting. Hello, Drew. We're excited to have you on The Modern Architect today. Oh, thanks for having me. This is, uh, is going to be fun. Awesome. Drew, please tell us how, how long you've uh, been interested in lighting and uh, vice president for uh, Pure Edge Lighting and how you came about becoming so interested in design, lighting, illumination in general. I know that's a lot, but start wherever you feel like it. <laughs> well, actually, I've been doing lighting pretty much my whole life. I uh, went to uh, a performing arts uh, grammar school in high school and I was the sort of spotlight operator and sort of techie guy doing lighting for theater, theatrical lighting, even when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. I went on to do that in, you know, in, in high school and college and did uh, theatrical lighting and design concert touring, things like that. And eventually my career sort of progressed as, uh, you know, you sort of come off the road and want a sort of a, uh, yeah. a, a day job and uh, started doing <laughs> architectural design, you know, design for uh, residential, hospitality, things like that. Yeah. So how did, it, when did you know, hey, this is, this is something you're really interested in? Were you, when you were at performance school or? Uh, I mean, I guess I was my early, my my first experience with this. I was probably like maybe ten years old. I was ten. Uh, I was, got a gig doing awesome. the as a spotlight operator for a uh, for a magic show, and I, and I was sort of sort of really intrigued. You know, I guess you know the audience was reacting. I I guess in some way to the tiger coming out of the cage, but I, you know it still <laughs> felt good to sort of be controlling the audience's focus with the with the spotlight and. Uh, <laughs> And to sort of realize from an early point that it's a real, it's a powerful thing. Yeah, it definitely is. And so we were in the green room. We were talking about something which was pretty funny. If you feel like sharing, great of how you moved, kind of the lighting and the uh, the uh, was it the instructor. Oh, you yeah. got to say that's a great story. Oh, that's funny. Yeah, yeah. it, it doesn't really relate it. to you know my current professional life. But when I was oh, it's relevant to this though. It absolutely. <laughs> when is. I was in yeah. high school, uh, another spotlight operator gig I had was uh, a big school assembly, and uh, you know I was the you know. The, the theater geek they'd send up to uh, to run the spotlight for the you know big school assembly and uh, I remember the principal was up on up on the stage and I 
sort of had the spotlight just to the right of him, and I got him to sort of shuffle, move across the stage to get into the light, and I realized that that uh, it was working. So I spent the rest of the whole presentation moving him across, the, back and forth across the stage, and I thought it was. <laughs> I don't know. Sometimes I have inside jokes with an audience of one. I thought that was kind of funny. Yeah, that is I didn't. He didn't like fall off the stage or anything <laughs> as much as I tried. But no. <laughs> but the, the point, you know, all, in all seriousness, it, the idea of lighting being able to really direct focus, sort of move people. I guess in that literally, physically, <laughs> sure, yeah. is uh, I recognized you know early on as a, it's a it's an important tool. It's, it's I think it's pretty exciting. Yeah. How is it? How does now your your work at uh, Pure Edge Lighting? How do you uh, see lighting, say, twenty seventeen versus even several years ago? How is it? How's how are things changed? Well, there's a that's a it's a it's a big subject. Yeah, okay. I mean, with technology has real you know LED technology and automation technology, lighting controls has really given even more tools to designers and specifiers and architects than there I feel like there's ever been in time. I mean, there's a uh, um, so as a manufacturer, I work, you know, I work for, you know, with some talented engineers and, and fixture designers who mm-hmm. really, what they've done is come up with a, a pure edge lighting. They really come up with a bunch of tools to empower, you know, lighting designers to be more than just space planners and really to become fixture designers. So we're giving them a bunch of tools to, uh, to really modify, you know, standard fixtures to create different geometry, different shapes and be, do more than just, you know, take a two by four, you know, lay in trough or, you know, fixture that you would normally create mm-hmm. a grid in a space with, but instead now be able to create slashes and stripes and geometry and, you know, still be able to, you know, have adequate light levels in the space, but create some visual interest too and yeah. really let them become, like I said, fixture designers. Yeah. So how, how are architects, do they come to you? Do, do you work through distributors, designers, uh, but who who do you work with, and and what kind of problems do you solve for them? So, w- we provide the tools for lighting designers, specifiers, okay. interior designers, architects, and uh, you know they buy through the normal distribution chain, um, as well as retail as well. I mean, homeowners can go to like Lightology dot com and purchase uh, you know on the web. Um, but for you know for larger personalized systems, usually lighting designers get involved and you know do specifications to okay. you know to do larger space planning. Do they bring the the projects to you to say, well, what do you think about this, or do they have an an idea in mind of how they're going to uh, illuminate a space? You know, these days I'm not as involved day to day with lighting design. I'm more there to, as a supportive role to designers to give okay. you know, help them you know realize their designs give them you know but uh occasionally my opinions you know <laughs> occasionally people listen to me okay when they do listen to you do they find that uh it's you're being in the industry so as in depth as you are do they find that uh those are ideas that they had not thought of i really try to you know you know you know being in you know a background in theatrical lighting okay i sort of learned early on that um you know Nobody ever leaves the theater whistling the lights. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so it's really about, you know, being a supportive role and being there to, uh, uh, you know, to get the overall idea of the design across. Like, for instance, you know, in architecture, um, you know, sometimes great lighting is not even noticed, but it's certainly impactful. I like that. So it's not noticed, but it's impactful. And that be, how, uh, how so? I mean, can you give me an example or give us a, an example of how that how that works or how you've seen it? Sure. I mean, 
at its core, lighting, you know, one of its most powerful f- features is that it can direct focus, okay. sort of influence emotion in a space. So, um, for instance, uh, you know, when you walk into a room, your eye is naturally drawn to the brightest thing in the room. So, you know, if, if, if you're drawn to this architectural element or a piece of furniture or something where you're trying, you know, the overall space the architecture interior designer is making a specific design choice where that's the, you know, the, the focal point of the room. Um, paying attention to that to support that design, you know, is important. Otherwise, you know, a lot of times lighting design, lighting is done as an afterthought or not thought, you know, not fully thought through. And you can wind up with, uh, the wrong product, the wrong lighting fixture that could be glary, draw attention to itself. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of times you walk into these, what I would consider beautiful architectural spaces, but you've just got this grid of open down lights in the ceiling and you just see this, this, this brightness on the ceiling. And I mean, maybe on paper that looked good, but you know, we want people focusing we want it to be an intentional choice. We want them focusing on the architecture and the furniture. Okay. And a lot, often uh, architects uh, aren't as, as well-versed in lighting. Uh, how, do you, how do you help them become more either well-versed? Are there classes, programs, uh, seminars that you put on or that you're aware of that uh, can, can help them? Uh, become more well aware? And... Well, there's trade organizations. I mean, okay. I'm a member of the IES, which is uh, Illuminating Engineering Society. Um, it's an interna- international organization. Also, there's the mm-hmm. American Lighting Association. And there's continuing education resources that are sort of through these through these organizations that, you know, I, pr- I try to participate whenever I can. Yeah. And there's uh, there's credential programs that you can get through these organizations. National? National, yeah. local? Yeah. National, Both? National. Okay. So it's national organizations. How was... Uh, Color, I've noticed that new buildings, new structures have color in their lighting. Is that a new phenomenon or just the technology is advanced enough to where they're able to do it? You know, so all light, color is an element of all light. When you say color, you're talking about like saturated, like blue or or green, something like that. Purple, yellow. Purple, yeah. Yeah. How about white? Oh yeah, okay. That's, that's, yeah. Even, that's an even bigger yeah, subject. Wasn't... Yeah, I mean, yes, yeah. Color is a, is an important design tool, and um, you can definitely create some visual impact with some dramatic colors and with contrast. But um, a lot of people don't realize how powerful even just the subtle changes within white light are, and how much the subtle hues within what we what, you know sort of laymen consider just white light or or, or natural looking light mm-hmm. um that's actually a really big subject that's uh really uh, changing with technology is sort of changing how people are going to interact with with light in the yeah. future how so I mean... so all right so i'll give you a couple vocabulary words here before we sort of get into it Great. so so we define light in the in the lighting industry Define white light by two sort of popular metrics. The first one would be considered color temperature. So, color temperature. So okay. people are a lot of people are familiar with that, like the Kelvin scale. So mm-hmm. it's a reference. So basically, we light up a reference black body radiator. It's, it's kind of a technical term, but basically, what that means is uh, they figured out that you take a piece of metal, tungsten, which is actually the metal that's in like a filament in a light bulb. Okay. Tungsten halogen. So. We light up this this metal, we heat it up to a certain temperature, and that temperature glows red hot, right? And that specific red hot, that specific color at a specific temperature is actually repeatable. You do this experiment anywhere on Earth, and you light up, you know, you heat a piece of tungsten to, say, 2,700 Kelvin, which, you know, is a, is a finite, you know, fine measurement of heat, and that glows 
white hot, almost to the same temperature as an incandescent light bulb. You, you get that to 3000 Kelvin, it glows in a different shade of white, a little bit more cool. Um, and you could sort of chart this color temperature, this color of, of this glow um, on a scale. So we'd say there's some basic um, um, stopping measuring points. So we would say 3000 Kelvin is usually equivalent to a halogen or 4100 or 5000 Kelvin, it was cooler tones, is typically what you'd see midday, midday sun in the sky. Mm-hmm. Um, or, you know, 20, 24, 2200 Kelvin might mean you know, a candlelight, something like that. So anyway, so these are some reference points. So that, but what that doesn't do with this, with this color scale here, the Kelvin scale doesn't do is it doesn't define this sort of untangible quality of the light. So let me give you an example. Okay. You might have seen, um, you know, seen some high efficiency light sources like, uh, you know, fluorescent or LED or metal halide where you've seen a parking lot or some somebody lit under what appears to be a white light. And you might define that light as, as white or orange. We could define the color pretty well. But how objects are rendered under that light um, is measured on a different scale. That's called the CRI, the Color Rendering Index. So okay. that basically means uh, um, take two light sources of the same color temperature. So let's say we'll say 3,000 Kelvin, right? So we would say compare halogen light source, which is the reference source. That gets a score of 100, or daylight gets 100, you know, at that color temperature. Comparing that with a reference with a comparison source like LED, fluorescent, some sort of something else, and then that gets a score of 1 to 100. So what happens is 3,000 Kelvin halogen is 100, 3,000 Kelvin LED might only get 80. And then what happens is something's missing. What is that intangible thing where the objects under that light sometimes look gray or dull or not real? Well, we could quantify that with this with this metric. So, Okay. Um, it's, been a, it's taken a while for LED lighting to be acceptable to have scores in that metric, you know, up above 90, 95. So that's what we're seeing now as a standard. We're seeing... Uh, anything uh, that's what we're using anyway for, for pure edge lighting is that um, all the LEDs are going to sort of meter exceed that minimum standard so that the quality of the color quality of, of, of a simple white light is going to have you get to pick the color temperature you want and you get to pick the and then it's going to have the quality level and here's where it gets really interesting so typically in the in our industry that's been the choice right so you pick uh, a color temperature you want so you know this is the space I'm designing for and I want the, the I want all the lighting uh, by all these different manufacturers and all these different lighting products, I want there to be some cohesion, right? So you know, uniformity in color. So mm-hmm. I want to have 3,000 Kelvin, I'll say. That's what I'm going to decide on. That's the color I want for this space. Um, so I want to make sure that I'm ordering that color temperature from all these different products to make sure that they align, you know, they align with each other. But, you know, throughout the day, so you're picking that color because you want to emulate natural light or the most comfortable light. So why didn't you pick 5,000 Kelvin? That's the that's the midday sun. Or why didn't you pick 2,400 Kelvin? That's the color of a dimmed incandescent that when you know, when you're dimming the lights late at night and you're winding down, that's the color you want. So why don't you pick one or the you know pick which one would you like? Well, mm-hmm. the challenge has been in you know in the industry um, for decades is that you know specifiers have had to just sort of split the difference. You know, pick you know choose right down the middle and and, and pick something that's sort of a compromise. Right? Is it this or that? But now, with the ability to have, you know, tunable white, have the ability to control lighting dynamically, there's real simple technology out there where you can, you know, dial in the specific color you want at the specific time that you want. So it's called tunable white. And so now we make uh, LED products where you not only get to pick, you know, as a lighting designer, you don't get not just get to pick the shape, size, you know, orientation of the fixture, um, which is a whole other story in itself, which is 
pretty exciting about what we're doing. But you you also get to pick um, the quality of the light at the specific time of day. So in the morning, I can have a light that sort of cues you that it's time to wake up and in the evening, I could have the light that sort of, you know, lets your body feel that it's time to wind down. There's this big trend now in uh, uh, we're really scientists and, and have really recognized that the human body responds to color and brightness. And uh, living in this uh, indoor environment without exposure to, to the sun and to the moon and to the, you know, to, the, to the earth, we've sort of tricked our bodies in a lot of ways and you know, a lot of people have a hard time sleeping at night because they don't, their bodies don't know it's nighttime because you have this exposure to these, you know, what our bodies telling us are morning lighting cues, telling us that it's time to wake up, it's time to be awake, it's time to be alert. Mm-hmm. A great tool when you're lighting for, you know, an office or a school and you're trying to use that for good to sort of dial in, you know, the, you know, to suppress the melatonin in the body and affect the sort of circadian rhythm and tell people it's time to be awake and alert. However... Um, with great power comes great responsibility. <laughs> so you have to uh, so also be aware that you can have the same that same powerful impact in a negative way in the evening, uh, making it hard. You know, everybody wants to doodle on their phone late at night, but yeah, but um, then a- sometimes it's hard to sleep. So what's what's interesting is that the uh, the the iPhone app now has the ability this night shift effect where you could actually it automatically changes the color temperature to correct for this. And so we're seeing more and more different other technologies that are using the same science to to affect color. Excellent. You're listening to The Modern Architect, KZSU, Stanford, 90.1 FM. Do you have any questions about three-day notices, 30-day notices, unlawful detainers, security deposits, repairs, habitability, lockouts, or rental agreements? Do you have any concerns about your housing rights? If you live in San Jose, call the Legal Aid Society of Santa Clarita County at 408-998-5200 for free legal assistance. That's the Legal Aid Society of Santa Clara County, 408-998-5200. And now back to The Modern Architect. We're talking today with Drew Goldman, designer and a VP for Pure Edge Lighting. Check them out at pureedgelighting.com that's pureedgelighting.com Drew you were talking about the uh, uh, how we, the lighting affects your body and uh, your your moods your rhythms how how else do you see it uh, affecting people uh, now as opposed to you know several years ago well you know when you say several years ago you know we've had this ability to control brightness and light for a long time and People have recognized that as a powerful design tool for a long time. I mean, think about every fine dining establishment you've ever you ever been at a restaurant when the dinner hour comes and there's that idea of dimming the lights down to sort of change the atmosphere. Well, that that was new science at one point, right? The idea of being okay. able to to change the the brightness of the light without physically walking around unscrewing light bulbs, <laughs> <laughs> being able to automate that and being able to just like with a touch of a button or or with the activation of a time clock, you know, to really get. Get yeah. fancy, be able to really change the atmosphere, and dimming is a is a big powerful lighting design tool. Brightness, basically changing the the change changing of brightness. So that's what you can consider. It's it's changing the brightness. It's not dimming, or is it well, dimming is, is dimming is like the the technical mechanism okay. of changing the brightness. I know, like I said, another way to change the brightness is to uh, you know 
turn different lights off or on. That's what they do in factories. You know, sort of you change the brightness by just turning a bunch of lights off. Uh, uh, not the most elegant way, but the, 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 there's different. You know, depending depending on what it's being used for. So the idea of being able to change the lighting after the person has moved into the space, that's the part, dynamically controlled lighting. That's pretty exciting. And so having a tool for that, not have, having the brightness of the light not be the only thing that you can affect, being able to control the quality of the color of the light as well is a big, a big powerful tool. And, yeah. you know, the barrier to that for you know that's been around for a, for a while. I, you know, I worked on some you know projects for high end residential you know private residences years ago where we we applied these principles where we sort of had with older technology with like you know neon cold cathode or fluorescent or something like that where we would you know do two layers of light, do a cool and a warm, and then have them on a you know a pretty complex lighting control solution where you can have it adapt to the time of day and turn one light on, another light off. It was you know, pretty robust to try and accomplish something like this. But now it's, you know, there's over the, you know, uh, on the shelf hardware at your big box stores that could uh, provide solutions like this that are pretty, pretty powerful. So, so the idea of being able to, so, so there's one idea of being able to manually choose, right? So like for, say for retail display, you know, in a fitting room or something, we did, we did a project for uh, a large, retailer, let's say, that did this in their fitting rooms where they had the ability to let the user who's trying on clothes see their clothes in different lighting atmospheres. So they could say, um, how does, you know, I'm trying to buy this dress. How does, how is it, how is it going to look during daylight? How is it going to look in the office? How is it going to look at home in the evening? And uh, lighting conditions change. And it really, a lot of times changes how things look. A lot of people make their final purchasing decisions at the, at the cash wrap and the, or, uh-huh. in the, or in the fitting, or not in the cash wrap, but in the fitting room. And a lot of times in the fitting room, it's much overlooked um, the lighting conditions that that people are where they're making those final decisions. Wow! So it, inf- it it can influence purchasing. It can influence everything in your life. Yeah, imagine how you'd feel in the world if there was no light. Yes, is that how how do, so you looked at that? We just before we came here, we were at the museum, um, and uh, you brought up a great point. Is okay. You see the museum here. There's not a lot of light, but the light that you do have it. it you know, it, you, your eye focuses on that. How do you uh, account for different spaces, different uses? Uh, do you know what what products fit? Uh, how to design it? Where it's the layout? How how do you go about um, dealing with all those dynamics all the time? Well, there's. I could talk about lighting design all day long, yeah. but with the specific thing we were talking about, I think we were at the museum, I was talking about <clears throat> contrast ratios and okay. talking about, um, um, you know, there was a, what we saw in this museum, it was, a, it was, all the lights were off and there was just a single pool of light lighting up a single piece of art and that art really, it, and we, we both commented, wow, that really popped out. It really st- stands out from its background. Um, and I think you asked how much light is on that. You know, is that how many, you know? Normally, people will ask that question. They say, well, "How many foot candles do you need to make something stand out, make something bright like that?" What a lot of people don't realize is brightness is not something that you you know. Brightness is a perception. It's it's all about relative proportion. So yes, you can measure the number of foot candles. You can measure. You can quantify how much light is on a specific object, but the perception of brightness is all relative. It all has to do with how bright something is relative to its surroundings. For instance, the, the accenting we were talking okay. about, just for simple artwork, like uh, typically a three-to-one contrast ratio is the minimum for something to be considered accent lighting. So, um, for instance, a piece, uh, a piece of art 
in somebody's home, you might want to have the artwork be three times as bright as the wall surrounding it for it to be considered for it to be considered an accent. Um, or in a retail space, you can have ten to one, fifty to one contrast ratio. So you're, it's really you know brightness is a real interesting thing. You know about um, the human body's ability to perceive how something is considered bright. Uh, I think I gave this example before. The have you ever been driving at night and had oncoming headlights blind you? Yes. You're driving at night and you see the headlights coming towards you and you always have to, in the rules of the road book, they teach you, you just look off to the to the side, look off to the, the white line on the right side of the road so you don't get blinded by these oncoming headlights because they're so intense. Mm-hmm. You ever been driving during the day, the midday sun, and not even be able to tell if the headlights are on or off? Looking yes. Right at, looking right mm-hmm. into the car headlights and not even tell if they're on or not? Yes. Same headlight, right? Same amount of light, same number of foot candles coming out of that headlight? Uh, illumines coming out of the headlight. And uh, so one of them is blindingly bright in one instance. In the other instance, you can't even tell that it's on. So um, when we talk about making things feel bright, it's not always just about uh, the amount of light. It's about the overall design. So it's so we, I hesitate to give specific recommendations on like how much light you did to one specific thing without looking at the overall design and the overall overall picture. Yeah. How do you uh, also, there's some clinical studies that I've looked at that, that have uh, results of, of lighting. And uh, I don't know how much you've looked into this, but uh, uh, what have you heard in that, that, that it does affect positively people to uh, correct light or the types of light? Oh, yeah, on the subject of like circadian rhythms, your okay, body's yeah. natural. I love that word. <laughs> your, it has to do with like your body's natural clock. Okay. So, you know, you know, as humans have evolved over the past, you know, millions of years or hundreds of years, depending on which book you read, the, uh, the um, body's natural ability to wake up and go to sleep has been regulated not always by like a watch, you know, watch on your wrist. <clears throat> it's naturally been regulated by the you know, the rising and falling of the sun. So um, your body is attuned to, you know, when the sun comes out and then you get that that low-level uh, blue light that you get at, at dawn. Uh, it sort of cues your body to, it suppresses melatonin, it cues your body that it's time to wake up, time to be alert, time to start your day. And conversely, as it gets to be evening and the sun light levels get lower and you start to see, you know, these orange tones like you'd get from a candlelight or a, or a, or uh, an ember from a, or a fire that's dying, okay. or the sunset that tells your body that it's time to go to sleep. So we've seen that uh, people who spend a majority of their time indoors um, have um, the, a hard time regulating that cycle, that wake, wake sleep cycle, and it could lead to agitation. It could lead to um, people having a hard time sleeping and being less effective. I've, I saw one study. Now I'm not a clinical researcher by any means. I did see a study that. That uh, looked at Alzheimer's patients and looked at their agitation and and found that um, by some by controlling the lighting their exposure to light by controlling letting light influence their sleep wake cycle that had positive influence. Really? Yeah. So there's clinical studies, obviously, that uh, have to do with lighting uh, or lack of. Yeah, it's a growing it's a growing field. Yeah. Okay. So is there such thing as light therapy? Since you said that, it sounds like it actually feels. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and uh, again, it's not. This is certainly not my area yeah. of expertise. But yeah, it's a. There's a. There's a whole science and, and sometimes pseudoscience built around that. Yeah. Do you work with? Have you worked with? Uh, hospital type lighting or lighting that's specific for, uh, clinical environments that. Uh, 
it's based on not just the energy savings uh, or energy, a lack of con energy consumption, but also the uh, actually the mood or the vibe. I don't know whether any other word to use. Of the lighting, the lighting well, there's itself. you know it's it's yeah I've done some work with it I know, okay. you know I have some a basic yeah, sure understanding of us, some whatever, you know, yeah. some of the some of the main concerns that people have for um, like lighting for the elderly that uh, they have a hard time you know lighting for the aging eye it's a it's a whole subject with interesting them. okay and the idea is that um, the the amount of light that people get when you know they have they need as you get older you you know you need more light to see the same objects and also you, your your eye has a natural ability remember the example i gave you we talked about being in a car and yes. seeing those headlights coming and your iris your, your eye has the natural ability to constrict and to limit the amount of light that comes in um, sort of reset the scale of of of, uh, of lighting levels so your eye has the ability when you're younger, to that muscle to really quickly adapt from bright level lighting to low level lighting. As people get older, all their muscles sort of slow down the way that they respond to things, and the eyes are eyes are one of those muscles. Okay. And so, what can happen is, as they go from the outdoors to the indoors, uh, they have a bright level, you know, bright light during the day. They walk inside into, and uh, you have a hard time constricting and adapting to that low light level. So, what they found. The, you know, want to get to the end of this? Yeah. <laughs> what they, what no, they no, found no, is that in the is in the in the lobbies that they of, of like metal, medical facilities and facilities for the elderly is they overlight the lobby so that there's a slower transition from the bright light outside uh, inside. You actually see the same thing happen in like tunnels, roadway tunnels, things like that. They'll overly light the exits and entrances to tunnels to allow t your eye time really? to adapt okay. to that bright level to low, you know, cause you can see, you know, if you, if you're in, you ever been in the theater and you try yeah. to read the program after you've been in there for half hour, 45 minutes, you can actually under very low light levels, you could read, you know, you yeah. can see what, do a fine task. But if you, you know, walk into the movie theater in the middle of the summer <laughs> and you, you, right when you walk in, you trying to, trying to read when they turn the lights off, good luck. <laughs> so it's about, it's all about time. Okay. Having time to adapt. So your experience in the theater, um, you're dealing with uh, 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 live shows, people moving, different emotions, and you have to capture that or accentuate that. That has helped you in, in your day-to-day? -day? Yeah, I feel like, uh, you know, people in the lighting world, in my experience, they generally come from the theater world into architectural lighting or from the engineering world into architectural lighting. I mean, I mean, there are people, there are programs now where, there, you know, university programs where people can study architectural lighting. But um, um, yeah, I feel like my background in theater and, you know, letting lighting be an emotional tool, you know, directing focus, generating emotion is definitely helped me in the design world. Yeah, I would think just as much, if not more so, than even the music. If they have music accompanying, well, music accompanies almost every film. And uh, I'm, I'm not sure if it does every single th personal theatrical play. Um, it, it's got to have... Yeah, to, you're saying like to score a movie? Absolutely, yeah. To, to, to... yeah. The music it creates the, the mood, not just the dialogue. And the lighting, I would think, has to do just as much, as I said, as if not more. Even in a movie. Sure. And and you, you say so? Do you have you ever done uh, movies, or have you worked with clients or customers that have are in the uh, movie industry that uh, need your expertise? I mean, it's not. That's a whole other. That's yeah. a whole other genre. Studio lighting is a whole other genre. Okay. You know, I, you know my you know my education is in theatrical lighting. I you know that lended to you know, so concert what? touring things like that, and and concert and, and, touring and, pro okay. and progressed it to like nightclubs and oh, and yeah. the whole idea of like film and studio. That's a whole other area. 
Okay, so to go into the uh, the nightclub there. How do you capture the what the essence of what the the club is supposed to? Um, do they want to get people to feel really good, really happy? So you have to replicate or try to try to replicate that emotion or stir your stir people to feel that emotion. Well, yeah, lighting can affect emotion. Lighting can actually also affect people's physic people physically moving in space like lighting up a dance floor you know you, you know let up dance floors every night for, for for long enough you sort of realize there's some some tricks of the trade kind of fascinating the same <laughs> the same idea of using a spotlight to to make the principal sort of walk across and fall off the stage or <laughs> you, we, we have that yeah. same principle with you know, trying to make people you know start the night off and get get people dancing on the dance floor or, or yeah. make them clear the floor when you know <laughs> so the idea is that you know at the beginning of the night before people have had had anything to drink they're like cockroaches you put some bright light on the dance floor and they'll scare you right off and <laughs> you could actually you know I spent, <laughs> a long time ago when i spent time working in the dj booth and sort of looking you know you could sort of have a bright spotlight you know move it across the dance floor and you could walk you could see people scatter away from it <laughs> so uh, that one person who loves it but it's, it's, it's so you of, can it's, get them dancing almost yeah you can you can you can sort of uh yeah you can um stoke a fire let's say okay so you stoke you can stoke the fire and you can make them stop stand whatever it is all through light we try oh i love it this is The Modern Architect on KZSU Stanford 90.1 FM. Operation USA helps communities across the nation and around the world deal with disasters, disease, and poverty by providing privately funded relief and other aid. The organization's philosophy is to offer material and financial assistance to grassroots organizations that can help with sustainable development, education, and health services. More than 97% of the money donated to Operation USA goes to its programs. If you'd like to donate, please visit opusa.org. That's opusa.org. Are you an architect, designer, contractor, or engineer? You can find the perfect products for your design, plus all the information you need to finish your construction documents and written specifications on modeler.com. It's a tool for architects and other design professionals featuring products from over 350 brands. You can search for products, see how they've been used by others, compare them with similar items, ask manufacturers specific questions, then access the information as well as the BIM, CAD, Revit files you need to populate your construction drawings. We at KZSU Stanford thank Modeler.com for their generous underwriting of the production and broadcasting costs for The Modern Architect. Now back to The Modern Architect. Our guest today is Drew Goldman, a vice president and lighting designer for Pure Edge Lighting, where form follows function. Find them on the web at pureedgelighting.com. That's pureedgelighting.com. Drew, the LEDs are pretty becoming more prevalent. Um, how do you develop a consistency, or how is consistency developed with LEDs with so many products out there? That's a really important question, actually, because what a lot of people don't realize is that you know the LED chips themselves, these little these little packages, these little little pieces of electronics, are being cranked off of the assembly line trillions at a time. And uh, there's you know what they're really having to do. The way we create white light with LED is this concept called uh, what they do is they have a blue LED. They put a phosphor material, paint a phosphor coating on the inside of this lens, and that blue light passes through the phosphor to generate white light. The challenge in the fluorescent world was 
um, having uh, <clears throat> so the challenge in the fluorescent world was painting that phosphor evenly around the inside of the glass tube to have uniform light and having okay. consistency from you know lamp to lamp from manufacturer to manufacturer. Uh, the challenge with LEDs is it's a much smaller surface that they're painting these phosphors on, and so consistency you know from batch to batch can vary. Um, uh, even within the acceptable tolerances within the industry, there could be some variances. So in the industry, we have a term called binning. Bin- and, uh, yeah, binning. So B-I? Think, yeah, uh, with an N. Okay. Yeah, the idea, it's okay. pretty, it's, 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 it is what it sounds like. The idea okay. of putting uh, lights into a bin. Okay. Right? And uh, categorizing them. So the, the, what we do for Pure Edge Lighting is we have a three-phase binning process. So there's the binning that's done at the chip manufacturer. There's the binning that's done where they do the assembly, where they, you know, populate the LED boards on the LED, uh, the LED chips on the circuit board. And there's an additional layer of binning that's done, you know, when we ship out a, pro- a project, let's say. They visually inspect all the different products that are going out on that project to make sure that they're going uh, to be continuous visually. Okay. So there's a – imagine there's a – remember we talked about that metric before of color temperature, right? We said something yes. is 3,000 Kelvin. Well, within 3,000 Kelvin, that's the sort of a broad term. Uh, the, the acceptable tolerance within 3,000 Kelvin, there could be potentially six different bins that, would all, that all technically would pass and say that they're 3,000 Kelvin. But there could be a wide range, you know, within that that could be visually – different versions of 3000 Kelvin, whether they're above or below that black body curve. So it really helps to have, you know, lighting manufacturers, you know, where the where they're based around lighting design and, it's, and they sort of understand the, the real world, uh, what can happen when you've got all these different colors in a room and how disjointed and mismatched it can look. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what could happen is you wind up with a room looking like a circus. No offense to circus designers, <laughs> if, if you're listening, but uh, if that's not your intentional <laughs> choice, <laughs> yeah, if that's not your intentional choice, it's something to be aware of. So, yeah. So um, there's certain things that as a, as a, you know, a majority of what we make is linear LED products, linear plaster and linear suspension, linear surface mount. And it's really about designing products that allow lighting specifiers, designers and architects to really sort of have a toolbox of tools where they can become the, the, the fixture designer. So it's not just saying, here, I've got this four foot thing, figure out where to use it. It's saying, give me a sketch, draw the, you know, draw a shape that you want. And uh-huh. we have this, you know, products that we could quickly put together off the shelf that could make you realize your design. Like we were talking about the 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 plaster in like the True Line product from mm-hmm. True Lighting, where it, it's basically it really lets the drywall be your canvas. The whole profile fits within that five eighths chip board. So taking advantage of the the profile and the size of these LEDs. You know, the lighting industry has been around, you know, selling electric lights, this industry has been around for a long time through a lot of different technology. And what we're seeing a lot of is people who designed products for many years using older technology like fluorescent, let's say. Mm -hmm. And that was the business that they're in. That's how they've tooled up. And those are the products that they have. And they've said, well, now there's LEDs. Let's make them fit in these fixtures. Uh, Rather, we sort of, you know, came into this started the whole company based around the LED. So the fixtures were designed from the ground up around the profile and what in it, what makes it, what things you can do design-wise with the shape and size and flexibility of like an LED. So the idea of having these profiles, like the true line system that can plaster into the architecture, you can create these like geometric shapes 
that aren't just don't have to just fit between the studs okay. because the whole fixture is less than five eighths of an inch. It fits within that jib board. It's really sitting proud of the joists. You don't really have to worry about framing conflicts. So you can have the thing go up the wall, across the ceiling, make a turn, go down the wall, and uh, not as much intense planning is, is involved. And the contractors are <laughs> won't, won't be your enemy because it, you don't have to frame the whole thing out. Yeah. How did pure edge lighting uh, come to be? Was it? Uh... Well, Gregory Kay's the owner, okay. and he, you know, this is his second major business venture. He owned a, you know, he owned a manufacturing company that sold uh, uh, tech lighting, that sold uh, monorail systems and some decorative fixtures uh, back in the 1980s and 90s. And after he sold that company, he uh, went on to do retail, and he had a started Lightology and Lightology.com in Chicago, and they have a beautiful like destination. I call it a destination lighting showroom. It's three stories, you know. It's um, it basically lighting designers from around the world go and you know come to. Chicago just to visit this the sort of lighting gallery and uh, eventually he sort of got the design you know fixture design bug years later and then and then it's a bug (laughs) yeah yeah so the the company that that we have now pure pure edge lighting started off with with uh, some simple plaster in art accent fixtures that were designed around the minimalist design aesthetic, the idea of wanting to be able to see, you know, we talked about contrast and about brightness and about, you know, tr- creating accent lighting and okay. having, uh, you know, having, you know, really well done art accent lighting is where you see the art lit and the surrounding area is dim and it creates that contrast, right? That visual drama. And that's not just about creating the darkness on the wall, but darkness on the ceiling too. It's this concept of the quiet ceiling, the idea of having the lighting that's mounted and recessed into the ceiling not be bright on the ceiling. Because you want your eyes focused down, right? When you walk in, you want to be focused on the art and the furniture and the architecture, not the bright flash of light in the ceiling. <laughs> so the so the Aurora fixture, which was the first thing that we designed in the in the, in the pure lighting line, was uh, an adjustable plaster in fixture that was really designed from the beginning to be plaster in. So the whole construction of the housing and the plaster plate was designed so that. Uh, it really dealt with heat and the construction process in a really interesting way. It has sort of an optical illusion built into it called the knife edge effect. This is good. It's knife a real. Edge. It's a real. It's called. It's 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 um, a real um, <laughs> difficult thing to explain without being, being able to see it. But the the Aurora fixture, the way it works is there's a there's a dome that sits above the ceiling that sort of blocks your view of seeing any of the the guts of the housing. Normally, when you look into a if you look into a downlight or an accent light, you look in from certain angles, you can see like a UL sticker or a gear or something like that. And uh, this has a dome that's fi- that, that's inside the fixture. And then the opening, the aperture, actually is a plate that tapers down to the thickness of a knife's edge. So having the aperture tapered to the to a, to, a, to a knife's edge and having the dome, I'm describing this with my hands here. I'm yeah. not sure how this is going to translate. Keep going. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the dome sitting above that. Your eye, when you look into the fixture from any angle... Almost any angle. If you're the painting, you you definitely see the light. But if any other angle in the room, uh, you it almost looks like a flat surface on the ceiling. And we have another layer of lighting inside there. We add some colored LEDs to glow that dome, so you wind up seeing the saturated color glow in the ceiling, or no light in the ceiling. But then this white, this crisp white light on the art. So oh. so it's it's you know people that understand lighting design and lighting. Really are are blown away by this thing. So that was sort of where we got our start in, in the pure lighting line. But the idea of having the plaster in world, mm-hmm. having things flush mount, and having the idea in design of having these products that are built into the architecture and not just the thing that's attached to the to the room, is really what drives this whole line of the plaster and linear 
Uh, so we talked about the true line, yeah. which is that uh, the linear stripe of light. It's really what's really fascinating is that it's become a trend. It's become like a whole genre now. We're seeing it. We're seeing this all over as people wanting to. You know, you know, you have to have some general illumination in the space. You have to have some overall brightness, but it doesn't have to come from down, like you know, cans in the ceiling. You know, it doesn't mm-hmm. have to be a, like the saltine cracker design. You know, you look at a print <laughs> and you see the, the saltine cracker layout, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, that may get you to pass inspection, but it's not going to create the visual hierarchy that you want in good design, right? Yeah. Uh, so, being able to create some interesting geometry in the space, having a slash of light or a, a basket weave pattern, or you know, or just sort of breaking the the dimensional boundaries, being able to go up the wall, across the ceiling, and then back down the wall, and yeah. having it, and and having sort of kits and systems that make it pretty simple, is really an exciting place to work. At, yeah, at Pure Edge. Yeah. yeah, we talked about your task and accents. Go over that a little bit for listeners or audience. You know, there, there's tasks when you enter a space, and then there's ask accents. So yeah. lighting does you know some the basic philosophy of lighting design with layers so uh the first layer the the most important thing is to light the task i had a i had a when i was in in theater school i had a professor who said uh your first job is to make sure people don't fall over the furniture (laughs) and i guess that 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 makes sense so he said i think what he said was at first light the things then if you can afterwards light it interestingly uh, the okay. idea is that the task for the first, the, what, I'm trying, what I'm getting at is, um, yeah, we want we talk about accent lighting, we talk about decorative lighting, we talk about you know you know different all these really fun techniques, but the first thing we really should be focusing on is the task. Are we cutting vegetables? Are we doing dental surgery? What is the ta- you know what, what what is the task here? And let's first make sure that that's covered, and then we'll come back around, we'll circle back and 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 do these other layers of light. So the task first identify you know, like with any good you know consultation design it's about understanding what the space is used for what the goal is what you know who's using the space identifying what the task you know sort of the discovery phase right oh, is that a checklist yeah. that you kind of go over mentally or uh, um, literally different you know different lighting designers different consultants you have different processes but yeah i okay. mean that's something that i would you know i'm sort of an analytical kind of guy so i would sort of make a make a list i would suppose of making sure that we've asked the right questions in the right order and uh so Understanding what the task is. Okay. Understanding the right amount, the minimum amount of light that you need to accomplish the task, and then building on top of that. The next layer of lighting would be the accent lighting. Okay. So, yeah, example so, of the accent. So lighting. accent lighting would yeah. be like a piece of art on the wall, or a, a vase on the coffee table, or you know, so it'd be three dimensional, two dimensional. Figure out what surface that's on, and uh, make sure that we can idea, ideally create a visual hierarchy, like a. a priority of things that you want to see what's the first thing i want to see when a I watch? visual hierarchy well hierarchy yeah. don't ask me to spell it okay yeah, yeah. but no, no i like that what's the brightest thing we want to see in the room is it this piece of okay. furniture or you know or is it this is this the prized possession piece of artwork that we're writing you know that we're lighting is it this uh is it a focal point wall that we're trying to highlight um you know a water fountain or a stone wall or something, you know, you know, we're not, we don't want to make assumptions about what the most important, you know, that we leave yeah. that to, we leave that to the architects and the, uh, yeah. but they will tell you, Hey, here's what we want to focus on the family, the house, the, sure. the restaurant, we were in the restaurant and you're saying we went to, when we went. Sure. Well, in that, in that case, um, one of the things that we wanted to, they, they would probably wanted to focus on was that menu board and okay. they wanted to let people, you know, see, you know, or is it in the fitting room example I gave you before, you know, what is the task and, you know, anyway, so they, so the first layer would be the, the task on the accent okay. uh, general and decorative illumination are also important so sort of filling in the gaps that you've that you you know to, to have to fill in the gaps 
and that can be done with you know either with decorative lighting or uh, or uh, you know other general lighting. That's when you start to see um, you know linear suspension fixtures being used in interesting ways to sort of create creating patterns in, in, in design. Yeah. Um, then you know another category actually I consider wall lighting as its own sort of its own sort of step and category because. What we do with wall lighting now, this is not when there's an accent on a wall. It's like I'm, t- I'm t- not talking about a wall where I have a, you know paintings or things like that. Okay. Just general overall sense of brightness in a room. You're gonna feel a sense of brightness when the walls are lit well, and you have some lighting on the walls. And so each wall, we want to make sure we pay attention to as we walk around the perimeter of a room in design. So um, there's specific specialty fit. You know, I see you like looking around the studio, yeah. like, wow, what? The, yeah. How have they done it here? <laughs> uh, the answer is poorly. Okay, yeah. <laughs> we're in it. We're in a real simple studio with you know a single light bulb hanging from an extension cord. But that is actually <laughs> I'm exaggerating. But that's actually the most efficient way to use a light bulb, right? You just have a light bulb hanging from an extension yeah. cord in the middle of the room. You're getting yeah. 100% of the light. <laughs> That that light bulb was producing out into the space, so yeah. you know, check you've you've saved some money there. But visually, it's not the most elegant design. So, you know, in product, you know, in fixture design, that's always a that's a you know that's a balancing act between how much light is being tra- from this light source is being trapped in the fixture and how much is making its way out effectively into the space. This is the Modern Architect, KZSU ninety point one FM, Stanford. The Loop is a radio show featuring electronic music ranging from house to techno to down-tempo and everything that's good in the underground. Each week, the show features releases, exclusive mixes, top picks, interviews, and even live guest DJs from around the world. That's The Loop with Drew Deep, Monday mornings from 11 a.m. to 3 p.m. And now back to The Modern Architect. We're talking today with Drew Goldman lighting designer and a VP at Pure Edge Lighting located in Chicago, Illinois. Find them at pureedgelighting.com. That's pureedgelighting.com. Uh, Drew, you're talking about that uh, one, light, one light hanging. hanging you there. I was um, talking about efficient design <laughs> is what I was talking about. So we're, talking about okay. like, we're talking about fixture design yeah, a little fixture, bit. Yeah, fixture, yeah. Yeah, so... Uh, you know, lighting fixture design is is basically you know, there's, there's a light source, right? Like an incandescent light bulb or a LED light bulb, you know, LED light source, and um, having an exposed LED on a circuit board. That's that's one thing. I mean, you know, like for under cabinet lighting, we do that. We you know we we wake up some LED tape light. We call it soft strip, and um, you know that's a. Uh, there's a lot of things that can make just a bare LED tape light very useful tool in design, but generally, you know, you know letting fixture manufacturers, you know, put things in and they control glare. So glare is kind of like there's like this balancing act. There's like a duality between efficiency and uh, and uh, and so like. The most efficient light source is what we described here. So you have a bare light bulb on an extension okay. cord hanging in the middle of the room. 100% of the light from that light source is, is making it out into the room. And the, uh, I guess the opposite end of that spectrum would be a pinhole aperture art accent fixture where you have a light bulb inside of a can in above the ceiling and then there's a, a, a trim and then some sort of a lens that like tapers that opening aperture down to the, the, like a one inch aperture opening and only allows a small amount of that light to escape the fixture to project onto a, like a piece of art, let's say. Um, so 95% of the light from that light bulb is trapped inside the fixture, but that 5% that comes out is in a real focused area and can create some visual drama. So 
you know, they're two, you know, both of them have their purpose, I suppose. Okay. So, you know, you know, elegant design, to, you know, sort of has a better harmony between the two. So, like, we have a whole line of uh, linear suspension fixtures called the Nova. Uh, actually comes in three different sizes, the Cirrus, the Nova, and the Zip. Nova as in our Nova, you know, not Chevy Nova. I think it might be the same. It's, it's, I think it's a cloud. I think <laughs> okay. is what I think what the origin is. Yeah. Okay. So the idea is that these are, you know, there's there's LED tape inside, but you're not just seeing the expo. Huh. You're not just seeing an exposed circuit board. Instead, it's regressed into a channel, and there's a lens, and there's mm-hmm. a louver, and the idea is that you have some. It's called cutoff, which is like the the ability to have light come out of the fixture in the right orientation. But if you step back a little bit, you don't see the glare. So we want to, let's get the light down onto the work surface, uh, but not have it, you know, when you're sitting across a table, not having to look directly into it from those specific angles to see the glare. But um, what's really exciting about these linear suspension fixtures, edge lighting is doing, is that it's, they, it's not just about buying a one-footer or a two-footer, but it's really being able to tailor the shape and size and orientation and color quality and louver and glare control, all the different elements that make up a fixture, make it unique, letting, taking that off of the fixture designer's plate and putting it into the architect's plate so that into their realm so that they could say, let me just give you a sketch of this geometric shape I want to make in the space. And I want to, and I want the light quality to be like this. And then, you know, the fact that we have our plant in Chicago, Mm -hmm. we can quickly turn these around and and it's about, it's really exciting to be able to create these tools for, for the architecture work. Yeah. How how also do you uh, work with in concert with the uh, daylighting or natural light? To where you you, can, you figure that into the entire design process. Well, I see this is a you know a huge trend that we're seeing in, in up and coming in lighting control technology. You know, lighting controls, you know, we could easily do another another <laughs> a whole other hour talking about lighting controls. It's it's, it's very important subject because. Uh, the barrier to entry for, you know, these home automation and being able to affect lighting controls and, and having things respond to your environment and respond to, you know, what, you know, you only want the, you want the lights on when you're in the space. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the big picture, right? You want the lights to be on when you're using them and off when you're not using them, right? Yeah. I've seen that done some in some cases eloqu- eloquently, in some cases not. Okay. Um, and, you know, for residential, for instance, you used to, you know, in order to have... Uh, integration of being able to have like a touch screen where you can control your thermostat and your lights and your in your in your um, garage door and your in your shades and your music that used to be a real big barrier to entry financially you used to have to have uh, systems integrators that would come in and you know make the smart home possible yeah. and that's been around for de- decades actually it's yeah. just it's just only um, owners of major technology companies have had the access to it now, um, it's super accessible, and you can have price wise, pr- yeah, pr- okay. for you know a hundred dollars, you can have a, a simple system in your home where you can have on your smartphone, you can control the, the, a couple lamps, um, or go even further than that, and you know spend a little bit more and be able to integrate um, all the lighting in your home to be able to have. Uh, what are called scenes. So, okay, so we talked about layers of light. Let's go back to this important design tool. Okay. So we talked about layers of light, about being able to have, let's say in a, in a, in a kitchen, you might have, uh, you know, in a, in a highly designed kitchen, you might have six different zones of lighting control in a kitchen. You could have 
Um, you can have pendants over the island. You could have under cabinet lighting, inside cabinet lighting. You could have uh, wall wash lighting to you know, light up the upper cabinets. There could be all these different areas of light that could be controlled and different, at different brightness levels, you know, balanced out um, to create an overall look in the room. And without having to change out any equipment, just with a touch of a button, you could change the whole look of the space just by turning one zone on, one zone off, one zone brighter, one zone dimmer. You can create all these different like dynamic environments with scene control, being able to push a button and sort of change the scene. Um, and now being able to have those scenes activated on a smartphone is super easy and it's exciting. And those scenes are not just about brightness now. Now it's about color. Now, not only are you changing, and sort of circling back to what we were talking about before, we sort of got got off that, is not just being able to change the brightness, but being able to change the color. So have, you know, in the morning, I want to have these cooler tones, you know, this bluer light to sort of uh, cue the body that it's time to wake up and time to be awake. And if I have a window open, I could see outside and I can make sure that the color of the light inside is aligning with the color, the natural light and the electric light are going to have sort of some continuity in color and brightness. And then in the evening hours, you can have the shades close, um, and you can have the uh, the tone of the light change. And in addition to just dimming one or the other, changing the, the color quality yeah. as well to really let your home wind down with your body as it's winding down. Yeah. Hopefully let everyone get a little more sleep at night. <laughs> yeah. And sleep and even uh, you can influence productivity as well, correct? Or lighting can does it increase it or encourage or I don't know if there's a word to it's attached to you the know there's a study effect. that was done in some schools in Germany that where they where they put uh, you know the students under I don't know if it was a controlled study or not I don't know how scientific it was, uh, how scientific it was but um, basically they were, were proving that higher light levels cooler color temperatures were were showing higher test scores say again cooler cooler tones meaning cooler bluer tones. light okay um, brighter levels uh, were creating higher test scores. Okay. And uh, like I said, I mean, we don't want to say this is this is not science fact by, okay. any, by any means, because you know, but it's the, a finding of some sort. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I mean, I mean, I think that it, it's it's kind of intuitive to think that you know, if the lights are brighter, you're going to be more alert. And uh, but I don't know if there's necessarily a, a causal link between all the findings that you know that people make claims to. So it's a, a kind of a, like a wiser smarter bulb that say, you know, if you put this in or you put this type of lighting in, your test scores will go up by X percent. I don't know, someone has got to that. That and a bunch of studying and hard work, and you're guaranteed <laughs> that that will happen. With, with architecture constantly evolving, um, the expectations for emerging architectural lighting uh, evolve as well. What's changed in your experience over the last, uh, say, two years since 2015? Uh, 2015? What's what's changed that you're like, wow, just two years ago, this is what we're doing. And now here's what we're doing about that same. You know, I think that um, LEDs integration into lighting, you know, being able to have a vocabulary, being able to have some awareness and being able to have some consistency and understanding within, you know, the major specifiers of the world, um, that it's not new science anymore, that it's sort of understood that this is, you know, you know, I go to, I go to these trade shows and, you know, internationally in, in Germany and in Milan and, and, you know, in the light fair in the States. And, you know, over the years we've seen, okay, there was, 
you know, some LEDs, some halogen, some metal halide, you know, light sources. And now it's, okay. it's like 100%. It's, it's like over the past few years, it's like that's it. It's, 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 it's approaching that. I mean, there's still some, some you know, legacy roadway contracts that are not changing their light bulbs anytime okay. soon. <laughs> but, but, uh, but, yeah, I mean, the idea is that it's, it's sort of it's here to stay, this, this, this LED technology. And it's electronics when it comes down to it. And it's, you know, the, the first early adopters of this, of this technology, these were electronics people that were saying, hey, we can make light using this technology. Let's, let's, let's make it. But now it's, it's about lighting people who understand, you know, design and, uh, and what to do with this technology. And now we're starting to see some real interesting things. Yeah. And you you can imagine in the next several years it's going to be even greater. What we talked briefly about, what do we see in the future um, with the LEDs? I think the lighting controls, the lighting adapting to your space, giving flexibility and design to the designer with, uh, you know, software. You know, letting architects be able to, you know, you know through design software being able to you know draw some lines and have that you know crank out turn their concept into a you know manufactured product quickly that okay. that's right around the corner with like 3D modeling rapid, rapid prototyping we use those materials you know during our development process in engineering and it's just a matter of time before those links are connected wow so you can when you say uh, they're connected how so like well, I mean, I th- you know, imagine somebody, you know, drawing a sketch. You know, today we have this. You know, someone you know works in, in AutoCAD and they give okay. us a sketch of you know some you know a basket weave pattern that they want, you know, lighting their space, and they send it over to us, and then that sketch gets translated into shop drawings, and the production floor puts the parts and pieces together, and there there it is out on the out on the shipping dock and, and yeah. up up in the space, and so it's uh, just you know each one of those steps along that process is getting easier and faster wow what would you what do you recommend for aspiring architects builders or even potential lighting designers you know continuing education is important going you know and you know when it comes to professional growth continuing education it's a it's definitely more of a push-pull you know in in university the information is sort of laid out for you and handed to you in a sort of specific way. You know, as you get later on in your career, you have to sort of seek out that information. So um, I would encourage everyone to look at continuing education, not just as like a mandatory thing to keep a license, but looking at it as an opportunity to really grow professionally and seek out, um, you know, interesting subjects that you might not know too much about. Like this, uh, you know, there's there's different metrics that are there's uh, out there today to define how we talk about color of LEDs. This uh, this whole new TM30 standard, which we can get into another time. But you know, we talked about you know the, the metrics that we've had all this time for defining color of you know artificial light sources, electric light sources. Now there's a new metric that's coming up that's really sort of identifying some of the challenges that the LED world have, has faced and trying to get adopted as a, as a standard. The idea is that being able to continuously learn and grow, that's, that's uh, all of our goal. Right? Learn and grow. Excellent. Drew, it's been great having you here today. We, uh, we really appreciate you coming out to Stanford today and being our guest. Thank you. Well, it's an honor to be here. Thanks for inviting me. You've been listening to The Modern Architect. I'm Tom Dioro. Our guest today has been Drew Goldman. Lighting designer and a VP at Pure Edge Lighting, a leading engineer and manufacturer of technologically advanced, energy-efficient lighting. 
To find out more about them, go to pureedgelighting.com. That's pureedgelighting.com. Join us again next time when we welcome another outstanding architect, engineer, influencer, and civic leader committed to positive and sustainable cities, communities, and lives. The Modern Architect is recorded at Stanford University Studios in Palo Alto, California, and is a production of KZSU Radio. The recording engineer and production manager is Akshay Jaggi. The assistant engineer is McGregor Joyner, and we're all assisted by Bryce Carter. And the executive producer and host of The Modern Architect is Tom Dioro. Are you an architect, designer, contractor, or engineer? Modeler.com is a platform connecting architects and other specifiers with over 350 building product manufacturers, large and small. Modeler.com works with architects from 80% of the top 100 architecture and design firms to discover, discuss, and specify products appropriate for their building projects. We at KZSU Stanford thank Modeler.com for their generous underwriting of their production and the broadcasting costs of The Modern Architect. Tune in again next week at 10 a.m. on Monday morning for The Modern Architect. Thanks for listening.